Amen. It's great to be together again. Hey, please get your bread and your juice ready because after the message, we're going to share in communion together. Jesus is alive. Amen. I trust that you had a wonderful Easter weekend and that your faith was stirred as we remembered the events of that weekend in the life of Jesus. But The story of Jesus and the message of the gospel does not end with Resurrection Sunday. There is more to the story. Jesus lived on the earth for 40 days after the resurrection, and then he ascended to heaven. It is important to take note of the events that took place after the resurrection. They will encourage us, strengthen us, strengthen our faith, and increase our hope. Today is one week after Resurrection Sunday. How are you today? Is the excitement of Easter still in you? Has it begun to fade? Has it vanished altogether? I ask you these questions today because I want to speak about an event that took place exactly one week after Resurrection Sunday. But first, let's go back to last Sunday. Let's go back to Resurrection Sunday. In the evening of Resurrection Sunday, Jesus appeared to the disciples. Let's read in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be with you. The disciples were assembled together in a locked venue for fear of the Jews. Remember what they may have been thinking. If they took out the leader, they would be next. The followers would be persecuted next. But suddenly, Jesus appears amongst them in that locked room, and he blesses them. Now they have no doubt that Jesus is alive. However, one disciple is missing, Thomas. For some reason, he had not assembled with the other disciples that evening. John 20, 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Take note, Thomas ran the risk of losing a great blessing because he made the mistake for some reason of forsaking the fellowship of the saints. That is why the word teaches us in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching, as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. It's so much more important for us to be together. Listen, there is a blessing in coming to church, in gathering with the believers. Now, I know there are some who are quick to point out that you can't get saved simply by going to church. And I agree. Church attendance alone will not save you, but it will strengthen your walk with the Lord. People will sometimes say that they don't go to church because of the people. 
But let me remind you that you go to church with people, not because of people. Those people do not sustain your life nor answer your prayers for a way out when there is no way. Only God does that. Some people will say that they don't go to church because they are liars and cheaters and hypocrites in church. And you know what? Yes, there are. <laughs> but there are liars at your job. There are cheaters in the neighborhood that you live. And there's probably, probably one or two hypocrites <laughs> in your extended family. I don't see you quitting your job or moving to another section of town or disowning your family members. You know what? I have decided that I would rather go to church with a few liars, a few cheaters, and a few hypocrites here on earth rather than die and, and go to hell and live with liars and cheaters and hypocrites for eternity. Eh? How about you? So I challenge you. If you have been finding excuses not to attend church, give it up. Stay connected, faithfully. Watch regularly. And if you are within driving or walking distance, come and attend in-person services. Apart from worshiping the Lord and sensing His presence, there will be brothers and sisters who will encourage you and help you stay focused on your walk with the Lord. Amen? Thomas forsook the fellowship, and he lost the blessing of that first encounter with Jesus. When the others came to tell that they had seen Jesus, Thomas doubted. John 20, 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. <laughs> Listen, these guys came to talk with Thomas. What proof do they bring? Only their words. John, earlier in his gospel, had already described Thomas as a courageous pessimist <laughs> and as an honest skeptic. And so it is not surprising that his response is, not going to believe it till I see it. It is easy for us today to read this account and judge Thomas. Oh, come on, Thomas. Don't you believe your brothers? But let's take a step back for a moment. Picture this. The other disciples, they come and they find Thomas and they tell him that Jesus, the Messiah, has returned from the dead, that he resurrected and lives again. What Thomas says on the surface sounds like the height of suspicion and doubt when he says, until I see the nail print in his hand and the wound in his side, I will not believe. But actually, Thomas is making an important point here. He's telling the guys, you are telling me what you are telling me because you have seen Jesus for yourself. You are not telling me this because somebody told you. You are telling me this because you have seen. Because of what you have seen, you are telling me this. In other words, Thomas is saying, am I not entitled to have the same benefits that you guys have had? Am I not entitled to have the same experience that you have had? Am I not a disciple too? 
I was there when he fed the hungry, just like you guys. I was there when he healed the, the sick, just like you guys. I was there when he gave sight to the blind, when he cleansed the lepers, when he called Lazarus out of the grave, just like you guys. And so if you guys are going to expect me to have the same excitement and enthusiasm that you are showing me right now, if you expect me to risk my life going around preaching this story, if you expect me to travel the world and convince others to follow Jesus, then I want to have the same experience that you guys have had. I want to preach what I have experienced, not what Peter, James, or John have experienced. I want my own story. <laughs> Listen, church. You have to have your own story. Yes, hearing and reading other person's stories will encourage and motivate you. But you need your own story. It is good and proper to quote scripture as to what God can do. But you need your own story. You know, there are things that I can preach and I can teach because I know it is in the Word, and because it's in the Word, I know it's true, so I can preach and teach about those things. But then, there are things that I can preach about and teach about because they are in the Word, and because they're in the Word, I know that they are true, and I have experienced them. Hmm? I can preach about inner peace and joy. I can preach about healing. I can preach about restoration, about forgiveness, about provision, about answered prayer. Not just because Peter or Paul or others wrote about it, but because I have my own story of the Lord's intervention in my life. Perhaps what Thomas was saying is, if I am going to preach the gospel of a risen Savior, I do not want to base my sermons on what you guys say. I would rather base my sermons on what I know myself. Well, one week later, Jesus appears to the disciples again. So we are back to today. We are, we are back to the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. John 20, 26. And after eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, <laughs> and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Jesus wanted all of the disciples that he had spent time with to be secure in the reality of his resurrection. He wanted them all to be sure of their relationship with a living Savior. Let me add a comment here and say that it is the preference of Jesus that none be lost and that all be saved. Well, unfortunately, the Bible is clear that not all will be saved. But Jesus loves you and everyone in the world. And his heart's desire is that you spend eternity with him. He also wants you to be sure of your relationship with a living Savior. Now, the choice is up to you. You can choose to believe in him or you can choose to reject him. But his intent is that you be saved. 
And the Bible goes on to tell us that he has delayed his second coming until the whole world has heard his gospel. Why? Because he wants all humanity to live with him in glory. And so Jesus comes to the disciples for the second time. And it happened on that Sunday evening, one week after the Resurrection Sunday. This time, Thomas is assembled with them. The disciples, they sit in excitement. (laughs) It is strange, perhaps even funny, that they are still behind locked doors and closed windows. It's almost like, It'll be so cool if Jesus comes through those walls again and appears in the midst of us. (laughs) And then there's Thomas. He's probably sitting with his arms crossed, you know, his ankles crossed, bow furrow, like tapping his fingers on the table, you know, like what's going to happen here? The stage is set. Ten disciples who know and wait anxiously. One disciple who doubts who only has the words of the other disciples to go by, so he doubts. And here, I want to take a step back again. Thomas was not the only disciple who doubted. All the disciples doubted until they saw Jesus on that resurrection Sunday afternoon. Thomas was merely the last one who doubted because he missed that service. I think it is far too easy for us to to shake our heads at doubting Thomas. We we like to quote, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed and kind of look down at Thomas and, and his doubts. And yet, if every one of us was honest with themselves, we would see that Thomas is not the loneliest Christian ever. I would venture to guess that Every one of us at some point has walked side by side with Thomas in the state of doubt. Listen, it is our very nature to doubt what we cannot see. It might as well be us sitting there with the tin, arms crossed, ankles crossed, brow furrowed, tapping our fingers on the table, believing without seeing. Thomas doubted, yes. And yet, which one of us can claim to throw the first stone at him? Which one of us has never had the smallest bit of doubt? Perhaps we have looked at the trouble of the world, the pain, the injustice, the senseless violence, this pandemic, and have thought, How can a good God let things like this happen? Perhaps we have been challenged by competing beliefs of many different religions. Or or perhaps we are just like Thomas and struggle to believe the words of others, wishing we could have firsthand experience and knowledge for ourselves. Fortunately for Thomas and for us, That is not the end of the text. Thomas is not left sitting there doubting. The text now turns to him with a wonderful message of grace. Jesus appears in the room with the disciples and he directly addresses Thomas. John 20, 27. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here 
and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Jesus knew that Thomas doubted. Jesus knew he had been excluded from the special revelation the night he appeared to the other disciples. Jesus even knew that that whole of last week, what it must have felt like for Thomas. Think about that for a moment. The only disciple left out. The only disciple with nothing but words to go by. The one disciple who is most like us today. And Thomas, the one left out, spent that entire week wrestling alone with his doubts. Now, Jesus does not lecture him, chastise him, or discipline him for doubting. Instead, Jesus wished him peace and in his mercy gave Thomas that which he needed to move beyond his doubt. Proof that he was alive. Thomas, I am here for you. And since you said that you need to see my hands and, and see my side, here they are. Take your own look so that you won't be without faith. But like the other disciples, here you can have your own testimony. Now notice what happens. John 20, 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Hmm. Thomas responds by saying, my Lord and my God. Notice, Thomas never does what he previously declared he had to do. He never did put his fingers in Jesus' you know, scars. When he saw Jesus, he, that was enough. And he simply confessed, my Lord and my God. Now the term, my Lord and my God, is a twofold term. My Lord means that you have dominion over my life here on earth. I can trust you. I can follow you. I can, I can subordinate myself to you. I believe in you. I can stand for you. I can depend on you. I was not willing to do that to the other disciples, but I can do that with you because you are my Lord. Listen, my friends, you can trust Jesus. You can lean upon His everlasting arms. You can depend upon Him to make a way where there is no way because He is your Lord here on earth. He is your way maker here on earth. He is your provider here on earth. He is your sustainer, your protector, your guide here on earth. He is your insurance here on earth. And next He says, my God. My God refers to His eternity, to His supreme power and authority. When Thomas says, my God, he is acknowledging that even in life on earth here is no more, he will still have a relationship with God. God is not bound by time and space, but eternity is God's address, which means that if he is my Lord here on earth, he will be my God for all eternity. Yes, I am thankful for all that God does for me here on earth. But friends, all that God does for me here on earth cannot compare with what He will do with me and with you in eternity. That's because not only is He the Lord of my life here on earth, He is my God for all eternity. And so Thomas says to Jesus that uh, I thought I needed to put my hands, my finger on your hand and my hand on your side, 
but just one look at your face has convinced me that you are who you say you are, worthy of my worship. Just like Thomas, there are times that we will be challenged. We will doubt. The very best news of all is that God doesn't let us sit forever, arms crossed, ankles crossed, brow furrowed, but no tapping our fingers on the table. In our time of doubt, we will search, we will examine, we will question, and we too can gain a stronger and deeper understanding of faith, of God, and of our relationship with Him. Listen, it's one week after Easter, one short week. In that crowded little room, door locked, sitting with the other 10, where would you sit? Would you sit with Thomas as one seeking? Would you sit with the 10, still excited and buzzing? Perhaps you would sit on your own, neither excited nor doubting. Wherever you sit today, I encourage you, to look Thomas not as a bad example to be avoided, but rather as our representative in that room. We who have other people's word and not first-hand experience. But church, I, I cannot close there because if I close there, I will leave you and I out. Thomas believed that night because he had the opportunity to see him. But Jesus, listen, Jesus anticipated that not everybody would sit in the chair that Thomas sat. And so he established a new blessing for those who could not fit in that upper room that day. A new blessing for those who were not available with Thomas and the other disciples. A new blessing for those who had not yet been born like you and I. John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Now listen, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus says that Thomas was a believer, but Jesus goes on to say that you and I, we are blessed. Jesus never said that of Thomas or the disciples. But he says that those we had never seen are blessed. Thomas, you are a believer. But folks, you and I today, we are blessed. We were not there in the upper room. We were not there at the foot of the cross. We are not there to watch Jesus disappear in the clouds. We are not there to see him multiply bread and fish. We are not there to see his hands, his side, his feet. But Jesus said that we are blessed because we believe without having seen. <laughs> that evening, that evening, Thomas became a believer. That evening, we had a representative in the room in the person of Thomas. And that evening, a blessing was extended to us and to all who will still believe in Jesus, even though we have not seen him physically. And because we have believed, <laughs> we have known his forgiveness, his grace, his peace, his healing, his restoration in our lives. We too 
can have our story by just believing the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He is alive today and he will return one day. Do you believe that? Well, in closing, listen, in closing, they were in a room with locked doors and closed windows. Yet, that could not stop Jesus from entering the room. We are in a season right now where many have been or still are locked in. Some are locked in due to the pandemic. Maybe you are watching or listening alone, locked up in your home. Listen, know that Jesus is there. Locked doors cannot keep away His love for you. His power from touching you. His presence from comforting you. Know that you are not forgotten. Quietly, just declare to Him, my Lord and my God. Some may be locked due to reasons beyond your control. Sickness, physical disability, financial or material challenges. Let me assure you that the Lord knows about you and your condition. And He is in the room with you to give you hope, encouragement, strength, patience, and to meet your need. Like our brother Thomas, just surrender to Him by declaring, my Lord and my God. You may be locked in due to your own choice. You feel safe if you are locked in. Maybe there is fear in your life. Maybe you've been hurt by others. Maybe some event took place in your life which brought pain and disappointment, even doubt. Some of you may even be quietly blaming God for your pain and your loss. And so you lock yourself in. You don't want to go to church. You are skeptical of mixing with other believers. But somehow, you decided to watch or hear this message in the privacy of your locked room. Well, your room cannot keep the love of Jesus away from you. He understands your feelings better than you do. He is there in the room with you, not to judge you nor to condemn you, but to embrace you and to bring you healing. Listen, child of God, He wants to open your eyes to the truth that isolating yourself is not the answer. Only by surrender to His will and purpose, only by answering His call to be an active disciple will you find joy, peace, and fulfillment in your life. You may think that you're protecting yourself by isolating yourself, but actually you are allowing your wound to get even more infected. The answer, like our brother Thomas, surrender to Jesus by declaring, my Lord and my God. May you take time today to ponder on everything that you have that comes from the hands of the Lord. May you, like Thomas, say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Amen. Let us 
have communion now as we close the service. We read in Acts 2.42 that the early followers of Jesus, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in other words, studying and learning the Word of God, and in fellowship they stayed connected, in the breaking of bread, having communion regularly, and in prayers. They were following the instructions that Jesus gave them at the Last Supper. And followers of Christ have been doing this until today and will continue to do so until Jesus returns. We do this in remembrance of Him until He comes. So let's pray and enjoy communion together. First, the bread. Father God, thank you for the bread, the fruit of the ground, which reminds us of the broken body of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took upon yourself our sickness, our disease, our punishment. And today, as we partake of this bread, we remember what you did for us, Lord Jesus. I pray healing upon those taking part. I pray, Father, that you bless everyone taking part in this communion today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your bread and eat it and be blessed in Jesus' name. And then Jesus took the cup and said, you all must drink of it as well. It represents the blood of Jesus. Lord, thank you for the fruit of the vine, which reminds us of the blood of Jesus, which was poured out to pay the price of our sins. You call this the cup of blessing, Lord. So I pray that everyone listening, everyone watching, as we take of this cup, I pray a blessing upon them, Lord God upon them individually, upon their homes, their families, my Father. You know the needs, you know what is happening, Father God. So I pray restoration, I pray healing, I pray provision, Father, as we remember everything that you achieved for us, Lord, by your death, burial, and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. The cup of blessing. Amen, amen, amen. It's been so good, Lord, to gather around your word, together with my brothers and sisters, Lord God, to remember what you've done through this communion and to be reminded of your great love and mercy and the blessing you spoke over us today. We have not seen you, and yet we believe you. We have sensed your presence. We've seen your work in our lives we too, Lord, have a testimony that Jesus is alive. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you for blessing everyone. So may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Catch you next Sunday again. Amen.